And let's open with a word of prayer. Lord, it's a, again a day that we stop to worship you. It seems like these days go so quickly. We were just here, and, and now we're able to speak your word again, to hear your word, and to apply it to our lives. Um, thank you for Sundays that we can gather together as believers to worship your name. Thank you for this church. And, and those who are a part of it, it's a unique body, and you've blessed us. Um, pray that the parenting process will become clearer to us, that we can do it in godly ways, because this morning, in your name, amen. Okay, I kind of left you hanging last week, somewhat intentionally, because I knew I couldn't get to the, the full part of this, so it was, it was kind of like an abrupt, well, that was a weird ending. That's okay, because I knew I was going to carry on the next week, and I guess the Smiths aren't here, so they're going to miss that part a little bit. I want to just go back to this chart that we were working on, and now, uh, oops, I'll wait just a second, I've got a couple more coming back in. Remember we started talking about the, o- the overflow of the heart. Okay, so it's out of the abundance of the heart a man says or does things. It's the things that we say and the things that we do. It's because of what's in our heart. It's not because of some external thing that happened to us. It's not because of, of uh, us not being ourselves. It's what's in our heart is being revealed by what we do. What we say and what we do comes out of our heart. And from that, we started a chart here, and we looked at something like fighting. Fighting is the, is the problem we're trying to deal with, and we want to change it to sharing. All of this box here is behavior. So as you have a little section there, you can kind of write this in. We're, we want to change the fighting to sharing is the idea. That's, that's the whole plan. And if we deal with it just within behavior, then we have a problem because we're, we're, we may get it to change. And it's very common to get our actions to change from one to another because of, of external note of, um, um, external circumstances. There's a lot of things we can do. We can bribe. We can uh, um, manipulate. We can get behavior to change. We can get our kids to do what we want. We looked at some pretty extreme examples last week. So if that's what we're trying to do, leave it within this box to change behavior, we can live within that. But what happens is we need to deal with it even deeper than that. So we said because everything we say and do comes out of our hearts, that's the wellspring of life, that's where it comes from, we need to look at what the ungodly behavior or attitude is. There's an ungodly behavior. So if it's fighting, what would be the attitude or, or behavior that's, that's the problem here? Would you, how would you explain that? What would the sin be? Uh, maybe not anger so much in fighting. Selfishness. How about love of self? We'll put love of self here. So there's a a problem here, which is an ungodly behavior that is love of self that is driving the fighting. That's what we need to deal with. That's the problem. And the godly behavior we want, if we wanted to have good quality um, results out of it, we want to have a behavior that's, that's got it right, what would be the godly behavior? Instead of love of self, it would be love of others. Okay. So that's really what we want to change, is love of self to love of others. Now, the problem is if we do this without, if we try to change the behavior down here from fighting to sharing with manipulating and other things like that, we can get that, but we don't change the heart. And what we said, when you, when you do something and it's not from your heart, you're just doing it just to do it, that is what we call hypocrisy. And we drew a line from here down to here. Hypocrisy. 
So we're being a hypocrite if we're doing things just for the sake of doing them and not dealing with our heart that's inside that's really driving and motivating the behavior behind it. Now, so we want to change an ungodly behavior or attitude into a godly behavior. There is only one way to do that. And I think that's the neat part about this whole thing. Now, we can take them to the cross. We're going to put a big cross right in here. Now it makes sense. There is only one way. There is only, it's only Christ who can change our ungodly behavior into a godly behavior or a godly attitude. Christ is the one that changes the hearts. We can't change our kids' hearts. So we need to take them to the cross and we need to get them to repent. So repentance is what we need there. That's what's going to change their heart. Not anything that we can do to them. So if we just left the box down in here, we were trying to change behavior, how do you bring Christ into it? Hey, if you be good, I'm going to be putting your name in a cookie jar and we're going to draw a name at the end of the week. And by the way, Jesus loves you. It doesn't tie into it, does it? It's, it how do you say that, that you're, it, it, the two don't match? If you go up here, you realize it's the heart. Hey, you've got a heart problem, son. You're, you're acting out. You're beating your brother here, and you're not sharing toys with him. You're being very selfish in your attitude, but it's, it's driven your heart because you have evil in your heart. You have sin in your heart, and that's what we need to work on. And so now you have an opportunity to work through it in a biblical manner. This will allow us to lead our children in a desire to know and to serve God. So if we were to attempt to understand the heart attitude, the Bible gives us quite a few different categories. We're going to look at different categories of this. What are some of the categories there? Can you name some things that are categories of wrong behavior, attitude of the heart that the Bible speaks of? Can you think of any? Lying? Okay. Lying would be a, what would be the attitude behind that? That that would be the behavior. What's an attitude behind lying? Pride, uh-huh, yeah, pride. I don't want anyone to know that idea. There's a good one, pride. We already said love of self. Fear of man, there's a good one, uh-huh. Selfishness, self-preservation. Yeah, I want to keep my little world just the way it is. Rebellion. I mean, these are things that are, are big. Uh, fear. Evil. Ooh, <laughs> evil. Fear. How about anxiety? These are a bunch of the issues that are going to drive behavior. When you have fear, you're going to have an attitude, have a behavior that's going to result, that's going to cause sin. So let's look at some of these in comparison. So love of self, we know it translates to love of others. Envy. Take envy. A child's envying another child who has something. What would be the opposite? What's the behavior we're trying to develop? A godly behavior. 1 Corinthians 13 come into mind, that you don't think evil of anyone, or you desire the good for others. So we want our kids to learn to have love for and uh, express the good of others. And this works great with siblings. We're going to talk about this later on, how you get your siblings to be encouraging one another when things good happen to them. Self-preservation, what's the opposite of that? What would be the sin behind that? Or the opposite would be, I want to preserve myself versus sacrifice. I want to lay down my life for others. That's what Christ did for us. Fear of man. 
fear of God. Yeah, I mean, I'm not afraid what man's going to do to me in this situation because I'm going to make a bad decision. Because of that, I'm going to do something wrong. Instead, I'm going to fear God and trust him with the results. Because it's just like the story of Joseph we went through last week. I mean, here he was stuck in a, a, a hole in the ground and then sold as a slave. And, and he didn't fear man. He said, okay, God, you're in charge here. And then he went back to prison with the, the falsification of uh, lies regarding Potiphar's wife. All those things, what did he do? He didn't fear man in that. He feared God and had the right results because of that. These are the things we want to work on. Rebellion, instead of that, how about submission? Instead of our kids rebelling, no, mommy, I don't want to do that. You know, pounding their hands on the ground. No, it's submission. I I know I don't want to do this, but I will submit to you. I will do it. Uh, Fear, an opposite of that would be? Trust. Trust, yeah, trust. I mean, I can trust. I don't understand it, but I'll trust. Or contentment would fall within that. Anxiety. What would be the opposite of anxiety? I'm just worried about this. And because of that, you're getting sick, and you're, you're not being trusting that somebody's going to do such and such. Peace. Yeah. Yeah, we want peace instead of that. As you understand that behavior follows the heart, you're going to be able to walk your child through the issues of the heart. It's something you're going to work through with them. So, so when they're going through an issue... What we're going to do is learn how to diagnose, asking questions to diagnose what is in the heart. If we can see what's in the heart, say, hey, let's work on this issue. Focusing on behavior down here is not going to lead us to the, to the cross. Over here, it will, because we know there's only one way to change that. Lasting change will not take place by manipulating behavior. We talked about that last week. Lasting behavior only takes place as the child understands their need for God's grace. I mean, I need God's grace. I can't do this on my own. Redemption, repentance, faith in Christ, those things. So the idea is to start here when there's an issue, look at the heart issue, work on changing the heart, and then getting the results. Yeah, it takes a little bit more time to do this, a little more work, but the long-term results is now you're doing it out of a righteous heart rather than out of hypocrisy. Your kids are becoming little Pharisees. We need to understand the ugliness of our own sin as a part of this, and the fact that we need a change of heart. I mean, that's, that's really what it is. We have ugliness in our heart. Uh, we, we look at the example of the Pharisees in uh, Matthew twenty five twenty three. 23. Jesus is excoriating because they're cleaning the outside of the cup, and the inside is terribly filthy. That's exactly what they were doing here. They were making the externals look good, but inside they had evil in their hearts. He says, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. So lasting change allows you to explore and understand what the abundance of the heart issues are. You can encourage your child. This is great for teens, by the way. I mean, if you've got some of you with teens, you can start this early, but if if you're trying to work through some issues... You have to let them see this. It's because of the grace and mercy of Christ that they can become somebody that they are not. It's only through that. So the cross and redemption, the grace of God, the only way to fit that in is to have to look at it being a hard issue. Otherwise, your kid ends up saying, I can do it on my own. I can fit this set of rules. I can be the kid that you want me to be. I can be good enough. And we never have seen, shown them their, their real need right here. So here they are, you know, they're fighting and, and they can pretend and they can do things, but it's, it's not going to drive them to it. You can't drive them from getting a, their name drawn out of a cookie jar to, by the way, Jesus loves you. It just it doesn't work. It's like trying to put a cassette tape into an MP3 player. And, you know, the two just don't, don't mix. 
But also, if we're just operating down here, we're acting as if we don't, uh, we're looking down at our kids is what we're doing. We're acting as if we're not a part of this. We don't have any problem with this. I can't believe you're being so selfish to your brother. How dare you do that? Or how could you have been so mean? As if we don't have that within our own, we don't participate in any such selfishness in our hearts. Hey, I'm one that does this. You know, driving in the parking lot and I see a parking space and there's another car that's on the other aisle. I'm going to speed up. I want to get to that spot because I want to have 50 feet less to have to walk to get into the front of the store. It's like, that's my, my selfishness in there. Or we're at a, a get-together and a plate of cookies are being passed around the room. And uh, you, you just come around, you see this big one there with the, with the walnuts on top of it, lots of chocolate chips. That's my cookie. And the guy before you takes it, hey, that's my cookie. It's not your cookie. This is selfishness of your heart. This is, I want that. That's mine. And I'm, I'm, I, for some reason, have to have it for myself. It's a lot bigger than just this, this issue of, of what the kid is doing. It's, it's our own hearts and the selfishness we have um, in it. We must not distance ourselves from the sin of our children as if they had a problem with which we could not relate. I mean, we have to say, son, you know what? I have the same problem. You know what? I've got a selfish heart too. I naturally want to, to do evil. I want to be, say unkind words. Maybe you've heard me say it to somebody who cut me off on the freeway. I said, that stupid idiot. That's because my heart... Yes, I do say that. Um, my selfish heart doesn't want to have a love for others. You know, that person may have some strange need or it's an older person, didn't see me. I am being unkind in my words. For what reason? Because of the selfishness in my heart. I have the same problem you do with your unkind words. So now you're driving it back to, I need Christ. I needed Christ to help me with this sin. Now it's not that you're this terrible kid that did these terrible things and you need to attain up to here because then what they do is they think they can attain up to here and be good just like you, but they know in their heart that you're also a hypocrite because you're doing things that don't match what you're saying. So now we can come alongside and now you can also use it as a great excuse to come and to, uh, to repent to them and ask their forgiveness. Hey, dad was wrong. I'm sorry I did this. I, I spoke unkindly to that person in front of you. And, and you know what? I, I asked forgiveness of them. I need to ask your forgiveness because of what I did. If I'm really honest, as a heart issue, we can sit down with our, our kids and say, you know, honey, I love you. I understand what you're struggling here. There's hope for people like you and me. Our, my only hope is in Christ. It's in grace. It's in the power of the gospel. He's the one who can change us. So that takes the child and it takes us back to the cross. We identify the heart issue behind what they're doing, and now we have a reason to go to the, the cross, and, and now we explain our relationship with Christ. Hey, I have the same issue. I need that. Christ is always going to be a part now of the corrective discipline. By addressing the issues of the heart, you can begin to help your child understand what's going on inside of them. And this we're going to get to one of the later lessons. We're not just living in a single-dimension world with what we see right in front of us. There's a lot of stuff going on behind the scenes, and this will start them early learning that. They're going to need this discipline to grow spiritually. It's a self-introspection of sin. Hey, you know, I need to learn, I need to teach my kids, really, how to learn to recognize their own sin. And that's just driving them, okay, what's the heart issue? And if you do this enough, they're going to grow up thinking, okay, I've done something wrong, I need to look at the heart issue, and that's what I need to change. Now they're going to do things out of the right reason. The gospel's not a message about doing things. It's a message about being a new creature. And uh, this change from the inside out, I, I love this comment, it's heart surgery, not a facelift. 
it's heart surgery, not a facelift, you know? Because that's what we want to do. I make everything look pretty on the outside, but it's the heart that needs to be rebuilt. Let me share a, a, an illustration that uh, Ted uses. If you read your book, you might have read this. Two boys are fighting in the schoolyard. And uh, Ted's a school administrator. He's in charge of the whole thing. And these two kids get uh, brought into his office one at a time. First one comes in. He says, you know, tell me what's going on here. I want to know uh, what's, what's this fight about. And he was looking for the abundance of the heart issue. What is the overflow in this kid's heart that's causing this? And he drew the diagram of his heart with the, the line coming out and explained it. You know, there's something in your heart, and that's what's causing you to do this fighting. He says, what is it? What's going on here? Obviously, we don't want fighting in our church. We want you to be kind in the playground. What's going on? Well, after a few minutes, the kid did reveal there was a heart issue. Apparently what happened was there was a, uh, a new kid uh, that was kind of new to the school, and there's an in-group of a few boys who are really, really good. And this kid, here's this group of kids that are really tight, maybe four or five of them, and this one kid is right here. He's real close to them, and you know, he's, he wants to get in that inner circle. And this other kid, this, this new kid, He's like way over here. He's in Pluto. I mean, he's in a different planet, totally different mindset. He's nowhere near it. But this kid, for some reason this day, tried to make a cut to get into this group. He wanted to be in that in group. And this kid right here said, wait a minute, man. I've been working hard on this. I'm not going to let you do that. I'm in a... So he fought him in that process. So Ted basically asked him, you know, what's going on here? And uh, he asked him, what is the abundance here? of your heart here. What, what is it in there that's doing it? You're not, I'm going to tell you what's going on here. Here's what I see. Here's what you're doing wrong. It's what, what's in your heart that would cause that? What is it? And he got the kid to say, you know what? It's, it's a love of self. It, it, it's pride. It's selfishness. And he let the boy explore his own mind. And, and sure enough, the, the kid did. He explained what it was. There's hope for kids like that is what Ted said to him. He came up and said, you know what? I have the same problem with pride. I have the same problem with selfishness. I struggle with the same thing as you. And this is how I deal with it. And he took him to the cross and worked him through the whole thing. Christ can change us. And he asked him, can I pray with you that God would work on your heart to love this other kid? Because look where he's at. He's, he's nowhere near this group. He doesn't have any friends. He's just really ostracized. You can make a difference in this kid's life. And so he prayed with him that this kid would have a heart for that kid. Now, he could have done something different with his kid, but he chose not to. So he asked the other boy to come in. The other kid came in, and uh, he already had a good read on the situation. He knew what was going on here, and uh, he knew that this boy really felt unaccepted by the kids in the class. So as, as soon as he did, he asked him his heart issue, and as soon as he said that, you know, I, I just don't feel like I'm part of the class, he took him to Isaiah 53, and he read through him about how Christ would suffer and would be estranged of men and he would be broken. And he read through that whole thing and said, you know what, there's others who are in your situation. Christ has been in the same thing and far worse and he got killed. And so he walked him through a heart issue, what was in his heart and how he would deal with it with Christ. That he was a man of sorrow and grief and he was esteemed not, all those things and, and showed it to him. Well, the teacher that night called Ted. He said, Ted, what did you do to these boys? They came back in the class and they were just like best buds, and the one guy was really helping the other. What did you do? You know, what caused that? Instead, 
could have had a bad result of that. He could have brought both those boys into his room and said, you know, this is a Christian school, and we're Christians here, not like the public school where these wild Ubangis are running all around and acting like crazy nuts and fighting, but we're not going to do that. Our Christian school. And he would have sent them home for the rest of the day, suspended them, and told them to read, to read their Bible and take Romans 12, 17 to 19. Write that 100 times and come back tomorrow with it. Well, Romans 12, 17 and 19 says, do not become overcome with evil, but be overcome with good. And they would have gone home and they would have carefully written out every single time on their paper, I will not become, oh, I was so evil and I will be good. Every single time they're writing it. No, that's not what they're thinking. They go, do, 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 do. Not, 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 not. Be, 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 be. Overcome, overcome, overcome. Just enough to get it done. Because where's their heart? Their heart's down here. We haven't dealt with the heart issue. So he was able to get them to change their heart from this thing. Go to the scriptures so we can learn the abundance of the heart. And that's what we want to do is look for ways. And we're going to take a lot of time, a couple weeks here, to look at different issues deep and see what the scripture says so you'll be able to know, okay, here's some scriptures related to this that I can take my kids to. As parents, we must first go to scripture with our kids and help them recognize some of the abundance of the heart, what those issues are. For revenge... You know, one kid hits another. Well, revenge, he hit me first. What's the godly counterpart of that? It's entrust oneself to God. Romans 12, God will revenge those. Help them understand the fear of man versus the fear of God. Look at verses on covetousness versus genuine concern for others. A passage about idols of the heart. There's a great book on that, Idols of the Heart, that it goes through and identifies those things. Now the gospel, grace, the cross... Those things are present that give hope. Now we have a reason for it because we know we can't do it. It isn't, I've had it with you. I've had enough. It's about God's grace and God's mercy. He is able to change people from the inside out. He's enabled them uh, to be people who truly love from the heart. That's how we can do that. You're never going to get their heart to do that out of the goodness of their heart just by changing behavior. You have to address the issues, and Christ has to be at the center of that. So, if you're going to do this with your kids, Deuteronomy 6 says, who do we need to do it first with? Ourselves. Yeah, ourselves. If you look at Deuteronomy 6, that's right when they're ready to go into the promised land. And what did the Jewish people do? They didn't. They didn't have it in their own hearts. Within two generations, they were gone and worshiping idols. So, we have a a warning there that uh, we need to care. We are people just like them that would fail unless we have the cross and we need to rely on, on Christ for that. So this is really about your view of the Christian life that you're going to try to pass on to your kids, a view of God's hope and mercy and love. You might think you can never get there. If you already got teens, oh my goodness, I'm, I'm way past this point. This is going to be a massive shift in my thinking and shift in my kids. No, there's, we're going to talk about that. How can you sit your teen down and say, you know what, son, I've messed up. I have not been really pursuing the right things of God here and helping you do the same. It could be with a four-year-old. And you're, you're going to say, you know what, I haven't been normally thinking of your heart. I've been working on your attitude, and I need to help you change this. We're going to start looking a little deeper, because you're a little bit older now. You can do that with young kids. We want a true heart change, what God wants them to do, who God wants them to be. Okay, I want to take a shift now, and I want to look at the conscience, the conscience, and, and how we embrace biblical methods of looking at the, comp, at the uh, conscience. 
All men and our children have the law written on their hearts. We know that there is intrinsically within them a knowledge of good and evil. Romans 2, 14 and 15 says, Indeed, when Gentiles who do not have the law do by nature things required by the law, they are a law for themselves. Even though they do not have the law, since they show that the requirements of the law are written on their hearts, their consciences also bearing witness, and their thoughts now accusing, now even defending them. So the conscience is a means by which our kids are shown, and we're shown, that we're wrong. It distinguishes between right and evil, right and wrong, good and evil. Notice that this verse is written to Gentiles. The Gentiles have this encoded in their hearts. It's not saying if you're a Christian, then you're going to have this. Gentiles, all people. Romans 2 talks about this in chapter 1 as well, and they suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Well, we've seen it in our own children. You catch them doing something wrong. Hey, did I see you grabbing a cookie? Well, they know automatically that was wrong, and their conscience says, yeah, or they make up excuses all the time, don't they? They immediately will start those excuses. Even a toddler who's told not to touch something. I mean, remember one of our little kid's toddlers. We had a, a wall heater that was built into the wall, and we told him that was, no, you don't touch that. And he would go over and touch this and look at us. I mean, two years old, and it's just like a stinking little sinner. And he would do that. It's like, what's wrong with that kid's heart? Well, it's my heart too. We do the same thing. You tell us not to do something, and we're going to test that boundary. Is dad watching me? Does he really care? And so we dealt with it. Their conscience is accusing them what's written on their hearts. We have some great biblical examples, and, and Christ was just brilliant at some of these things. Here's some examples of what he would do. He would tell them a story, and then he would ask questions afterwards to draw the issues out of their hearts. Same thing here. So he's going to ask questions. He sees behavior in the Pharisees or in the disciples, and he's going to ask questions to get them to see what the heart issues are. Matthew 21, verse 28, is a parable of the two sons. Let me read that. Matthew twenty one twenty eight. But what do you think? A man had two sons. He came to the first and said, Son, go work today in my vineyard. He answered and said, I will not. But afterwards he regretted it and went. Then he came to the second and said, Likewise. And he answered and said, I will go, sir. But he did not. Which two of them did the will of his father? And they said to him, The first. So he's asking them questions and getting these people to see, Oh, yeah, the they know which one was doing right, which one was doing wrong. One obeyed in word and not in deed. The other obeyed in deed and not in word. Keeps going on through those same, uh, same parables there. The parable of the tenants. And uh, it's the landowner who sets these guys up and the vine dresser. And they, uh, they kill the guy that's in charge of the whole vines there in uh, verse 37. And then finally he sends his son uh, to go check on this whole thing, and they seize him and kill him, throw him out of the vineyard, and therefore, when the owner, the vine dresser, comes, what will he do to the vine dressers? So he's setting up a scenario, and he's showing, trying to reveal their heart, and asking them, what's he going to do to them? Here, you've been, as the Pharisees and the Sadducees, in charge of the religious system for this nation, and what are you doing? Because you know your hearts are evil, and that's exactly what he shows them. He asks them questions, then he appeals to their conscience. Verse 45, he goes through the thing and he says, um, uh, Now when the chief priests and the Pharisees heard his parable, ah, okay, they've got this whole thing down, they perceived that he was speaking of them. Well, brilliant. They actually figured it out. Yeah, he's talking about us. We're the ones that are killing him. But when they sought to lay hands on him, 
they, fe- they feared the multitude because they took him for a prophet. So they right then had evil in heart. They wanted to get this guy at that point. They knew he was talking to them. He took, the, uh, right before that in verse 42, he takes him to Psalms. He, he basically takes scripture. And he shows them from scripture, this is the issue. And that's exactly how we can do it with our kids if we look at what the issue is. People are competent to judge because the law is written on their heart. And, you know, people say, oh, you shouldn't judge one another. Yes, you should. There's a reason for that. That's why we have laws. Ted talks about a, a, a young kid who's, um, I don't know, seven or eight years old, and he's in church, and one of the ushers sees him reach into the offering basket and take some money out, and the thing goes on. And uh, so he, he goes over and he tells some people, and they actually got his dad and brought him in with the pastor after church and say, son, you know, I understand that you, uh, you're dealing with this, uh, with an issue of your heart. And so they walked him through what the issue was that, that you've been stealing and got him to talk about it and what it is within his heart. And the kid gave the $2 that he had stolen. But then they got the kid to realize that, you know what, this is really a heart issue. At that point, the kid's broken down, and he reaches in his pocket, and he hands out another $20 bill. So he had been holding, the whole time they're talking to him, holding back on really his conscience that was saying, yeah, I got caught. I'm going to give back a little bit that I found, that I stole. But he still had within his pocket the rest of the money. But because they took him through to see what the issue of his heart was, his conscience was smitten by the fact, yeah, I'm sinning against God. This is taking money from, from God himself. The gospel comes to him, and it hits his conscience. We have to see our need, our kids have to see our need for God and his strength. The alternative is to lay down a law. So here's the law, yes, no, white, black, here's everything. And uh, they, um, they then are going to re- do that themselves. It doesn't require grace. It doesn't require God's strength and his help in that. Their own resources, what they think they can do. And that's how kids grow up. And that's why you see so many kids in the church. They grow up in the church and they think they're going to keep this external bit of how how I'm a Christian, and it's not in their heart. Hypocrisy and self-righteousness is the result of giving your kids a keepable law and telling them to be good. We can't do that. To the extent they're successful, they're going to be just like the Pharisees, cleaning the outside of the cup. People whose exteriors are clean while inside they're full of dirt. So the pattern is Jesus appeals to their conscience. It deals with the root of the problem, not just the surface issue. Our task as parents is to get them to see from Scripture where their heart has sin in it and, and seek forgiveness, uh, to get them to deal with the issues between them and God eventually. So you can do this with young kids. Four, five, six years old, they start to see this. Oh, you know what? It is God. They start understanding these concepts. Christ does it again, Luke 7, verse 36. The woman is crying at Jesus' feet and washing his, his feet with her, her uh, hair. She was a, a terrible uh, harlot. And uh, the Simon is there and saying, you know, why are you letting her do that? Well, this, she's wasting this stuff. And he asks, who loves me more, him or her or you? Because he appeals to her conscience. This woman obviously has a lot of sin that needed forgiving. And the conscience has given her a desire to do this. God-given adjudicator, really, of right and wrong. And she knows it. And now she wants forgiveness. Or the story of the Samaritan, Luke 10. We look at that, the different guys that come by there. And he's asking the rich young ruler that he's telling the story to in Luke 10, you know, all these guys come and do it. Which one of these was a man who really loved his neighbor? Because you said love your neighbor as yourself is the number one commandment. Which guy is it? And who is your neighbor? He appeals to the man's conscience in that way. And he changed the, the young man's mind as to who his neighbor was. It was anybody around him who had a need. 
Christ put that in his conscience by the questions he asked in the scripture he brought to him. The man wanted to justify himself. Hey, I'm good. I've kept the law. I've, you know, I've done everything I need to. I've loved my neighbor as myself. I'm good. I have a keepable law. And Christ shows, no, you don't. You have a heart still that doesn't recognize that you do need help here. He indicted the man actually with his own correct answer. You know, he asked him, which is the, the best, uh, the most important commandment. So you move your children to see their spiritual need, and that's really a move of the conscience. Matthew 18, uh, verse 21, Peter wants to know the limits of forgiveness. You know, God, how much should I forgive? What are the limits of forgiveness? How much should I do this, seven times? Well, no. If you can think of an outer limit of forgiveness, then you don't understand what forgiving somebody means. There shouldn't be an outer limit. It's your conscience that is saying, no, I think I've been wronged against because what is it? It's my love of self right here. I've been wronged against, and this guy needs to be punished because of it. We don't get in debates with our kids. We use the word of God. So if your kids want to watch an objectionable TV program, it's something that's, you know, it's, it's kind of like, well, we're not sure about that. How do you deal with that? You say, nope, our rules in our house is right here, and this is it, and us four no more shut the door. Here's our rules. No, you need to teach, and this, we're going to walk through this, is teaching the reason why behind a lot of things that we do. We take him to James, uh, I'm sorry, Ephesians 5, 3 through 7, that talks about not putting anything in your heart that's evil and abstaining, abstaining from evil. Take him to Deuteronomy 6. You know, is this in your heart first? Am I watching things that are evil? So when my kids go to bed, they come in and they're, you know, watching me watch something that's like, wow, Dad, I thought that was evil for us to watch. I can watch it because I'm, I'm mature. No, we have to have that same thing. Asking questions in that process of, Dad, can I watch this? Now it becomes a question that drives them to Scripture. Look at everything in a lens of the Word of God. And, and that's, it takes patterning, patterning, and patterning to do that. That's why kids are given to you when they're young. So when they get older, you've set a pattern with them. Uh, dealing with matters of the tongue. Your kid's having a problem with, with lying or having a problem with unkind words. Take him to James chapter 3, verse 11, 18. talks about the tongue is a fire. It's a world of iniquity. It sets on fire a course of nature. And it, it talks about sweet water and bitter coming out of the same fountain. That's what your mouth is doing. James 3 is just great for dealing with the tongue. Now what you're doing is you're saying, hey, you've got these bad words. You're being unkind. It, out of the heart, you're, you have an unkindness, but also it's not what God wants. You have a reason to bring it to Scripture. Fighting. Fighting going on with your older siblings? Well, James 4. Where does fighting come around among you? It comes of your own lust, your own desires in yourself. You lust and desire. You don't have. You fight and kill. And you want to destroy one another, it says in James 4. Or compromises with the world? Okay, you know, Dad, I want to wear this dress. It's a little, you know, low in the neck. Well, that's a compromise with the world. Let's go to James chapter uh, 4. Verse 4. Again, it talks about why we're of the world, we're not of the world. And we can see those things from Scripture. That's because our heart, honey, is that we want to be a godly example for what we're doing for God, not for ourselves. We're taking the, the whole purpose, the whole thing, by asking questions to the right place. Unkind words. Ephesians 4.29. We're going to look at a few of these very specifically later on. It's the Word of God that smites the conscience. It's not us. We can't go and do that. We have to take them here. A list of rules is just going to make them smug. I can do it. I have the power. I'm good enough, and, uh, and I can make it happen. That doesn't deal with the heart. Um, Paul Tripp, in his book, Age of Opportunity, in page 82, he says, we cannot and must not reduce godly living down to a set of rules. Can't do that. You can leave it. It's fine. 
Um, the key here is really for you first to know the Word of God. You have to be able to take them here. And it might take a cheat sheet for a while, you know, where, where you study your kids, what's going on. You know what? My kid's been having a trouble, trouble with lying. Let me, this morning in my devotions, take some time to look up some verses on lying so I'm prepared. Or, Mom and Dad, after the kids go to bed, let's talk about how we can work through this issue. Let's look at some scriptures. Now you're doing it together. An appeal to the conscience is not guilt manipulation. It's not doing it that way. It yields a true self-conviction. It lets them see their sin. A child's still going to feel badly after true repentance, but then you say, hey, you cast your cares on Christ. He cares for you. So that kind of covers uh, the conscience on that part. How much time we have? I want to look at another concept called the moral warehouse. Moral warehouse. This is a a fun little exercise. Um, the company I work for built a new warehouse, about a 75,000-square-foot building, all concrete tilt-up. Here's a picture of it. This is a, a big warehouse, big concrete building. I took this picture before anything was put in it. So here's all the racks, all the shelves sitting there, all ready to go. There's nothing in that warehouse. Now, our kids are not empty warehouses where we can then put good or evil, and that's how they're going to act. I don't want to look at it in that way of determinism. It's our kids are born, and there's all these shelves that we can now put things on to help them, to assist them with their conscience. Psalm 119.11, this one I'm sure you have memorized. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. Right. Well, think of each one of those racks, shelves, or rows when you're in Costco. Think of that row as being an issue of the heart or a level of respect. Uh, Philippians 2, verse 3, let each of you esteem one another more important than themselves. There's, there's these shelves in there, and we need, as parents, to put things on these shelves because they're going to go shopping later on, and we want to make sure there's things there for them. So there's six different aisles that we're going to use here, and, and we're going to look at each one in, in the best that we can to, to kind of categorize how we're going to intentionally put things for our kids. The first is respect for authority. Respect for authority. This is a biblical mandate, Romans 13, 1 and 3, says, uh, honor the, the king, First um, Peter 2, 13 and 14, respect the authority that's put over you. I put some verses down there. That's why we have stoplights. I mean, you drive down the street and there's a red light. What do you teach your kids? A little song in the car? Was it red means stop, yellow means wait, and green means go, 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 go. That's what we taught our kids. So you, you come up with these little things where you teach your kids red light means stop. That's why we stop. Or there's a stop sign, a red stop sign. The government put that up as a rule for us. There's an authority. If we didn't have that authority, we would have a mess. Cars would just keep going, and, and there'd be wrecks all the time. We have order and, in our society instead of chaos because we have rules, because we have authority. Sometimes you'll see a sign that says, don't walk on the grass. Well, that's because somebody owns this place, and they have authority over it. They own it. Therefore, we don't walk on their grass. They're going to need this skill in life as they get older. I remember one of my sons, um, he had done a project for History Day in, in high school. And we had always been working on respect for authority. And uh, for History Day, he did a program on, uh, it was an internet program on, I forgot what it was exactly. Yeah, but it was a history program. He, he did this whole thing on the internet, and it was just wonderfully done. And he went to turn it in, and he thought everything was all set, but apparently it had to be in the day before. And... Oh, no, he did all this work, and it was going to you know, go to state. It was just a f- fantastic thing that he did. And the teacher said, no, I can't accept it. It was supposed to be in this date. I can't accept it. And what does a kid do then? What is their normal reaction? Be, but I did all this work, and I didn't know, and blah, 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 blah. But he instead appealed to her. Can I appeal to you? 
can I, can I work through this maybe some other way? I've done this work, and, and there was an inconsistency. I didn't understand this. But he appealed to her in a very gracious manner. Still wasn't allowed to, to turn it in. And it was a great program, project. He had worked tremendously on it. So he came back from school. He was really dejected. But we used it as an opportunity for this is a lesson you've learned today that most kids don't learn. You've done a project. You've worked real hard. And somebody in authority says, no, it's unacceptable. They don't want it. You may have a boss someday who you are working on a project, and it's going to be really disappointing because all of a sudden he just says, forget it, we're not going to do that, and you've put all your work in it. You just learned a great lesson here. Let's learn from this respect for authority. We're going to honor them and the way you handle that teacher. And that taught that kid so much in his heart. His heart wanted to have love of self here. It wanted to have a pride and arrogance because he did such a good job. But we took it back to his heart and said, no, let's look at this. The teacher has some rules that it had to be in by a certain date. We can't change that. And so rather than getting mad at her, it was a miscommunication, let's take and learn with it. And it was a hard lesson. It was tough. It wasn't really his fault, but we walked through it. That it, We used it as a lesson to teach him, you know what, you're going to learn something here. We're going to respect authority. There's a reason for that. So we've tried to do that with our kids. We've tried to teach them how to respect authority in many different levels. Sunday school teachers or regular school teachers, they come home and they say, my teacher did such and such. Or, you know, there's something about them. We have to be the one, Deuteronomy 6, that teaches that authority through them. You know what? Yeah, your teacher may not have done something right, but let's think of ways that we can help your teacher here. Rather than, yeah, you come right into class. I want to straighten this out. My kid should have gotten such and such. There's a whole different light that's going to happen within your kids. How do they respect authority? They get older, they're not going to have problem with authority because now they know how to handle it. First one is respect for authority. Second one, respect for parents. Respect for parents. There's only one mom and dad. You guys are, are it. And uh, often that uh, parents aren't, uh, it's not so much now, but a lot of kids, I heard them for a while back, they were calling them Jane and, and Bob. They call their parents, not by mom and dad. They just use basic names. There was no hierarchy. No, I'm your mom and that's your dad. There's nobody else. They're special. They're special people. We have to establish then expectations of respect for mom and dad. You don't kick mom. You don't kick dad. You don't be unkind to us. You don't slam the doors in my face. So there's a set of rules. We take them back when they do something here to their heart and it says, you know what? We need to put this on that shelf, that aisle of respect for parents. And so there's a little label right on one of those shelves in Costco that says respect for parents on the whole aisle. It says you don't kick your mom or you don't talk unkind to your mom or you don't call her names. So now we set up some expectations and we're putting these things in their, in their minds. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. We're putting rules, but yet we're doing it with a purpose behind what God's expectations are for them. We're the main tool as parents to bring them to God, and that's how we're going to build that respect in them. So your kid demands something of you. You know, your kid wants something to eat. They say, I want a waffle, or I want this. I'm sorry, that's unacceptable. You can't speak to mommy that way. It's, may I please? So you establish what those, those words are that they're going to use to come to you and how they're going to come to you so that it's not just a demand. You're the dad, and you're going to do everything that I want you to do. No, they're not the center of the universe. We have to work through that because you're their parents and there's only one set of parents. You have a unique opportunity to bring other things to them if you have that level of respect. A lot of parents have abdicated that respect. They're, they're just not expecting it from their kids. And they let their kids run off and do anything and kick them and yell. And it's like, no, you don't treat mommy that way. Number three, respect for age. I like this one. Respect for age. Could somebody look up Leviticus 19.32 for me? Jim, you got that? Leviticus 19.32. 
Um, often, it's, it's the, kid, the parents that have more problems with this than, than the kids do. I know when we were raising our kids, we taught our kids to call older people by the name Mr. and Mrs., because it was a sign of respect. You have earned something different than my level. You're not a peer with me. You're not Caesar to me as a little kid, a little four-year-old. You're whatever, Mr. Menjivar. Okay? We, we don't use the names, teach our kids to teach, to call parents those names because their age has not made us equal. We're very different. We have earned respect because of that. Leviticus 19.32 Stand up in front of the gray-haired. That's me, the gray-haired. There's a, there's a principle there, isn't there? You stand up before somebody's... They have earned honor and respect. So you teach your kid. There's an older person, you know, like Harold or Barbara. We can call them that because we're peers with them. But to, to go up to them and, and call them by Mr. and Mrs. and say, you know what, be kind to them. We want to make sure we're being respectful. And that's why we teach our kids not to run around in the, in the church on Sunday mornings because they're running in front of some older person who's having a hard time walking. That person could trip and fall. You've been disrespectful to an older person and they can get hurt. So now you can teach the heart issue behind it. We're not creating a rule here to keep you from running a church because we're mean ogres and we don't like you running. It's because we want to show respect for age, respect for the older people, and the way we do that is we don't run around them because they're fearful of this. I don't know if I shared it with this class, but I had a previous church I was at. There was an older person in the foyer, and a little kid ran past him. The lady fell over and broke her hip, and it, it took months and months. I don't know if she ever even recovered from that. It took months for that lady to heal. And, you know, I was near there and was able to help pick her up, but we couldn't get her up. We had to bring an ambulance in to take her, all because some kid had not been taught respect for age. And it would have been simple to, to sit down. This is what can happen. Now, this is worst-case scenario, but it's real. We have to have that for a reason we're teaching this, respect for age. Mr. and Mrs., we taught our kids that because it just you're a, a different plane than these other people. So we had to work on this and really work on it. Often it was us that had the problems. You know, I don't want to feel old. I don't want to be called a Mr. or a Mrs. That's old people talk. But we need to build respect in the younger kids, and that's why we do that. I'm not saying you have to do that, but that's the way one of the vehicles we use. We also built an interrupt rule. An interrupt rule. If Kathy and I were talking maybe to another couple, and uh, our daughter came up and she needed some help with something, she couldn't just come up and interrupt and say, Daddy, Daddy, I need such and such, and start talking to me. That was unacceptable. We taught them, you need to interrupt us very kindly. So we taught them just to put their hand on our hip. And, and by my daughter putting my hand on my hip, I would put my hand on hers, and that recognized that I know you're there, and I, I know that you need something. I'm going to get to you in a minute. I would wait for an appropriate time in the conversation with the other adults, say, can you excuse me for a minute? Now I would deal with my daughter. By doing that, it showed respect to my peers. It respect for older people. I'm not the center of the universe who needs you to do everything for me, Daddy. It's I'm here and I need something when you get a chance to deal with it. This showed great respect to other people. And you think about it. Other parents would say, how did you get your kid to do that? Well, I took this parenting class and it's helped me see the issues in my, my daughter's heart, which normally are very selfish and wants to be the center of the universe, even though I call her that sometimes. And I want to work on that behavior. The way I'm doing that is to, to teach her to be respectful to you uh, in a conversation like this. Really? Wow. That's because it's what Christ would want us to do. Now you have an opportunity for the gospel. So we're building gospel opportunities through our kids, through their behavior. Instead of a kid who comes in, you're maybe talking to this person about the Lord, 
and ah, this kid comes in and interrupts you, you've just destroyed a gospel opportunity. See the difference? That's why we do it. It's not because we have these legalistic rules we have to have respect for age. With our son, I know we had a real problem, one of them, uh, saying hello to the, uh, the UPS driver. And he just wouldn't say hello. It's what's with this kid. And we'd, we'd be holding him at the front door. UPS driver comes by and, and be sitting here and say, say hi to Mr. whatever his name was. And he'd just take his head and turn it and put it in our shoulder. And he didn't want to say hi to him. And so we're dealing with this is what our, our comment would be. We'd take the package and we'd go and deal with it. And often it was an infliction of a, uh, a consequence that may have been painful. By doing that, the child saw this is unacceptable behavior. You cannot do this to older people. You have to respect older people to the point now where this kid shares the gospel openly with a lot of people in a lot of ways that I never would have expected. I think a lot of it is because we taught him early. You need to face people, look them in the eye, and say, Hi, Mr. So-and-so. That was terror to this kid. He didn't want to do that. But we taught him to do that. Number four, respect for peers respect for peers. This is something brilliant to teach your kids. Again, it's a hard issue. When they're playing with friends, sometimes it's just their, their own brother or sister. They can get evil, downright mean and, and nasty. So we need to teach them the kindness of their heart when we see it, that, that they need to respect them. We taught our kids that your sister, your brother are going to be your best friends when you grow up. So get used to it now. And, and you're going to have to live with them. And, and let's be the best friends. So we, we set up scenarios to help them in this way. We would go and uh, a child would get an award for a WANA. And the whole family would come around them and be excited. And we'd yay and cheer. Anytime anybody comes home and they did anything, we all do a wave and, you know, yay, so-and-so. One time, one of our kids was in the car, we're driving, and said, Dad, isn't that neat? Almost everyone in our family did something really neat today. And named off every single kid that got an award or did this or did that. And it was for them to see the family identity that we had together, that we were about encouraging one another. And we told them, you're going to be your best friends of your brother and sister, and they're close friends now. I think that's a part of it. Through that, we also taught them a view towards uh, those with disabilities. And how do you deal with that? What a great opportunity. Just walk them through that. And I know Emily, to this day, she wants to start being involved in a disability ministry because, excuse me, what do they call it? Is that what it is? Yeah, disability ministry. Um, because she just has such a love for those that are in need that can't help themselves. What a great, great heart for someone to have. That's because it was developed out of a love for peers. Things that they say on Facebook, I mean, they can just be brutal to each other. Well, how does that start and how does it stop? It goes back to this. Where's the heart? What's the behavior we're working on? And what's the behavior behind the heart? Is this a love for my peers? We taught them three things when they wanted to say something. Is this kind? Is it true? And is it necessary? Is it kind? Is it true? Is it necessary? With those three, there's often a lot of talk about their friends that could just disappear. And if it's not those three, then then we have to deal with it. You know what? Let's not do that. This also ties into a view of sex and purity and modesty. I mean, to teach your daughters how to be modest. How do you do that? Well, there's a purpose behind this. And that's the evil in our own hearts, but also the evil in other people's hearts. This takes you into an opportunity to share those things because it's not about here's our rules and here's what you wear and here's what you don't wear and I'm going to measure your skirt every time you leave. 
You know, I went to a school that was that way, a very legalistic school. And the girls would have to kneel down every certain day of the week, and, and their dress had to touch the ground. And guys, we had to have our hair above our collar. If it touched our collar or ears, you had to go get it. You get to suspended, and we had to wear a belt. I got, I think, a demerit for not wearing a belt one day. It was all a whole set of rules. The parents that ran the whole thing, the, the, the pastor, had like 10 kids, and they were the absolute worst terrors of the school. Because it wasn't in their heart. It was all about rules. I can keep those rules or I don't get in trouble because I can bypass the rules. It wasn't in their heart. So love for, for peers there. Philippians 2, 3, and 4, we ingrain that in our kids' hearts. Let nothing be done out of selfish deceit or envy, but um, instead with esteem, love one another. Um, next one, respect for property. Respect for property. And this isn't so much respect for property itself. I need to stop. It is late. Okay, I'm going to leave you hanging. You're going to get that one next time. You've got to tune in next week. Thank you, guys. Let me, let me close in prayer. Lord, thank you for this day, even beautiful as it is outside with a little bit of moisture in the air. We pray for rain. We pray, though, for wisdom in the hearts of each one of these parents that they could raise their kids in godly manner. In your name, amen.